Hey everyone, here's another Patreon preview. This is the beginning of our series on cybernetics, which is a study of managing things and systems and all sorts of stuff. And John has put together a really great analysis as to how it applies to labor. It's going to be over quite a few episodes, and uh, we're very excited to be doing it. If you'd like the whole thing, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and support us with $5 a month. It's what allows us to do the show, do all of this research, and make these cool episodes. And uh, there's all sorts of other cool stuff on there. In this episode, we go over Norbert Wiener, who is kind of the grandfather of cybernetics, and uh, his story is really interesting. And uh, I guess here is a preview of that episode. He wrote an article called A Scientist Rebels, which was from the January 1947 issue of the Atlantic Monthly, which urged scientists to consider the ethical implications of their work. And I'm going to read out the text from the letter from the Atlantic, along with the little blurb that the Atlantic put at the beginning. Also, why is every newspaper in the country a billion years old? Uh, <laughs> So um, the Atlantic says the letter which follows was addressed by one of our ranking mathematicians to a research scientist of a great aircraft corporation who had asked him for the technical account of a certain line of research he had conducted in the war. Professor Wiener's indignation at being requested to participate in indiscriminate rearmament less than two years after victory is typical of many American scientists who served their country faithfully during the war. Before we get into what Wiener wrote, isn't that incredible? That a couple of years after the war, right. most American scientists were like, rearmament? Fuck you. <laughs> Meanwhile, today, something like 80% of all uh, research in the American Academy is funded by DOD. Yep. And the very same. It's like if you want to become an engineer, it's like one of the best bets to doing that is to join the army. <laughs> oh yeah mm -hmm. you can definitely yeah, for sure you can make your name if, if that's what you want to do um but yeah so so wiener writes sir i have received from you a note in which you state that you are engaged in a project concerning controlled missiles and in which you request a copy of a paper which i wrote for the national defense research committee during the war as the paper is the property of a government organization you are of course at complete liberty to turn to that government organization for such information as i could give you if it is out of print as you say and they desire to make it available for you there are doubtless proper avenues of approach to them when however you turn to me for information concerning controlled missiles there are several considerations which determine my reply I love his tone here. <laughs> In the past, the comedy of scholars has made it a custom to furnish scientific information to any person seriously seeking it. However, we must face these facts. The policy of the government itself during and after the war, say in the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, has made it clear that to provide scientific information is not a necessarily innocent act and may entail the gravest consequences. One, therefore, cannot escape reconsidering the established custom of the scientist to give information to every person who may inquire of him. The interchange of ideas, which is one of the great traditions of science, must, of course, receive certain limitations when the scientist becomes an arbiter of life and death. 
For the sake, however, of the scientist and the public, these limitations should be as intelligent as possible. The measures taken during the war by our military agencies in restricting the free intercourse among scientists on related projects or even on the same projects have gone so far that it is clear that if continued in time of peace, this policy will lead to the total irresponsibility of the scientist and ultimately to the death of science." Both of these are disastrous for our civilization and entail grave and immediate peril for the public. I realize, of course, that I am acting as the censor of my own ideas, and it may sound arbitrary, but I will not accept a censorship in which I do not participate. The experience of the scientists who have worked on the atomic bomb has indicated that in any investigation of this kind, the scientist ends by putting unlimited powers in the hands of the people whom he is least inclined to trust with their use. It is perfectly clear also that to disseminate information about a weapon in the present state of our civilization is to make it practically certain that that weapon will be used. In that respect, the controlled missile represents the still imperfect supplement to the atom bomb and to bacterial warfare. The practical use of guided missiles can only be to kill foreign civilians indiscriminately, and it furnishes no protection whatsoever to civilians in this country. I cannot conceive a situation in which such weapons can produce any effect other than extending the kamikaze way of fighting to whole nations. Their possession can do nothing but endanger us by encouraging the tragic insolence of the military mind." If, therefore, I do not desire to participate in the bombing or poisoning of defenseless peoples, and I most certainly do not, I must take a serious responsibility as to those to whom I disclose my scientific ideas, since it is obvious that with sufficient effort you can obtain my material, even though it is out of print, I can only protest pro forma in refusing to give you any information concerning my past work. However, I rejoice at the fact that my material is not readily available, inasmuch as it gives me the opportunity to raise this serious moral issue. I do not expect to publish any future work of mine, which may do damage in the hands of irresponsible militarists. I am taking the liberty of calling this letter to the attention of other people in scientific work. I believe it is only proper that they should know of it in order to make their own independent decisions if similar situations should confront them. Norbert Wiener. Man. Norbert, my man. After my own heart here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh man, there is... There's so much going on in there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really remarkable to me that, like, you see from a very young age, he, he starts making, like, decisions about the way that all of his various systems in his life are going to interact with the world. Like, I'm a pacifist. Okay, I'm going to try to join the army, actually. Okay, I, they, they wouldn't take me, so I'm, I'm going to try and work in these other... Fi- oh, they will take me. Okay. And, you know, now I'm... And he, he, keeps, he keeps setting himself up, and he's, he's trying to, to, to reorient himself based on all the newest information and say, like, what is the most correct thing to do with what I have available. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that like really speaks to his favor in this case is that you can see the deep thought here because he's simultaneously making a very staunch declaration of principles, mm-hmm. like a a, a a a true dedication to the idea that information wants to be free, that science is the property of all of humanity and not just one person, one nation, one company, uh, anything like that. But also, at the same time, recognizing that he can't practice that principle in a dogmatic manner 
because again, as he points out here so many times, he's like, look, I, I, I think we should share information, but as experience has taught him, like if you treat that dogmatically, you can end up supporting horrific, uh, crimes mm-hmm. as with working with the defense industry. And so the, the champion of scientific freedom and total liberation of knowledge is forced by the historically contingent situation he is in to restrict the sharing of his own scientific knowledge so as not to further the awful militarist ends of the empire he finds himself living in. Sure. Well, and I love that you use the word dogma and dogmatic because that really is what he's trying to work his way out of and express to people that, like, you know, once you get into these set ways of thinking, if you follow them to their quote-unquote logical conclusion, you almost always end up doing something insane by the time you get there. And it's also interesting because, like, you know, he, he would use the term rigidity a lot. He was always railing against the rigidity of any given system. And um, I, I think it's interesting that he chose that word because it's very, very neutral, right? Like dogma, that's a little Marxist, that's a little loaded, that's a little <laughs> theological, that's a little historically informed. But rigidity is something that you can, it's very dry, it's very... It's a very technical term. It's a very technical term, and I think that that's how he kind of skated through a lot of his academic and professional commitments in the United States, despite obviously having at least semi-socialist ideological commitments. Right. And also he expresses an interesting materialism in this where he's like, mm-hmm. I'm just protesting pro forma. I'm sure if you really try, you can go get my work from somewhere. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, I love that he like he won't even puff up his own protest. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, I know you can go get it, but you know what? I'm not going to be a party to this. So mm-hmm. uh, as much as I can, screw you, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I rejoice that my work is not readily yeah. available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that shit rocks. And and he cuts right through cuz you know, I used to work in the defense industry before I radicalized and some of the so I've gone through and heard every single justification argument for why that's not wrong. Tried a lot of them myself for a while. Uh but one of the ones that's really common is this idea that technology itself is purely neutral. And that it is only the end user who has the total responsibility for it. And it's like, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> like, as Wiener like, lays out here, it's like, yes, if somebody, you know, makes a drug that's supposed to cure, you know, a heart disease, and then 10 years later, somebody figures out they can turn it into a biological weapon. No, that's not that person's fault. But if you work for Raytheon and you are designing missiles, the fact that you don't press the button doesn't mean you don't know full well what the purpose of the thing that you're working on is for. Right. And like he lays out there, the practical use of guided missiles can only be to kill foreign civilians indiscriminately, which is absolutely correct. But you'll hear from people with huge amounts of education, all of these high-minded, like detached, objective, in the biggest quotes in the world, conceptions that, look, I'm just designing a machine. I'm not the one using the machine. This this attempt to absolve themselves of any responsibility for something they know very well what it's going to be used for.